This is part six on 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-8. I think it's our last session on this unit. I want to talk about these final words, those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus as the focus of who will be repaid in that revelation of our Lord Jesus. Let's read it. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. And the purpose of that righteous judgment and this evidence back there of the suffering of believers and their endurance, this righteous judgment of God is that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay, and then two repayments. First, he repays affliction to those who afflict you, and he repays relief with us to you who are afflicted. So, retribution and relief are the repayment that is just. In the revelation of our Lord Jesus from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire giving vengeance on those. Now, here's what we're focusing on the vengeance that he gives in this repayment, which is just, is one, on those who do not know God, and two, those who do not obey the gospel. And notice the focus shifts from the immediate repayment of affliction on those who afflict you. That's a very small and prescribed number of people in Thessalonica who are making life miserable for Christians. So he moves from a specific application of this retribution at the second coming to a generalized statement because it is a universal experience. Namely, it will come to all who do not know God and all who do not obey the gospel. So, Father, as we try to understand who these people are, who these people are, and a few other things, grant us your help, your focus, your insight, your protection. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I suspect that um, all of these all of these people not obey the gospel are among those who do not know God. But not all who do not know God are among those who disobey the gospel, because I think this group includes those who've never heard the gospel. And Paul is speaking generally here about what it means not to have a saving knowledge of God, and he's being specific here about those who, right here probably, have heard the gospel, and they have not obeyed it. Instead, they are afflicting you and will receive affliction because of it. So let's talk first about 
Well, it's, that, it's pretty obvious that obey the gospel means believe, right? Because the gospel has one main command to be obeyed, namely, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So speaking of obedience to the gospel is believe fundamentally, though probably the word obedience is chosen to signify that there is in this believing the implication that life changes and you obey the wider revelation of God's will built on the gospel. But who are these people who do not know God? We've seen that phrase back in 1 Thessalonians 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And what he meant was not that there's a group of Gentiles who do and who don't, but rather, generically speaking, the Gentiles outside the sphere of, of the gospel don't know God, and not knowing God lack the kind of relationship with God that would bring their passions of lust under the right kind of regulation and control of the Spirit. Let's go out a little wider. Romans 1, 18-23 is probably the most important passage in regard to whether people who have never heard the gospel do or don't know God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's a very important phrase. So even what they presume to know, they suppress and in a sense don't know it. For what can be known about God is plain to them. So they do know, because God is, has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So people are without excuse everywhere in the world, whether they've heard the gospel or not, because what can be known about God is clearly perceived in the creation of the world, but they suppress that knowledge. For although they knew God, so there's the fundamental perception that they have and the knowledge that's built in to their own consciences, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, which is a kind of failure to know him as they ought, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. So they, they gave it away. They gave the, the saving, trusting, honoring, thanking knowledge of this God away. They gave it away and traded it in for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. So you see the tension. Paul is trying to make the case that the reason all people are without excuse at the second coming and all of them will come under God's judgment justly is because they know the truth 
but they suppress the truth and in that sense don't know it. Is that a fair interpretation of Romans 1? Here's a few verses later. Since they did not approve to have God in their knowledge. Now, that's a literal translation. They don't approve to have God in their knowledge. God gave them up to a debased mind, which you could say doesn't know God because they've rejected the knowledge that they were given to do what ought not to be done. Jesus spoke this way in John 8. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He's our God. So these are Jewish students of the Old Testament who have read all about God in hundreds of pages, scrolls of the knowledge of God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. So Jesus is saying, of course, there's a sense in which Jews know about God, but they don't know him, he says. This kind of understanding was what Hosea in the Old Testament was mainly about. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. Chapter 6 of Hosea, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord is going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you? This is God now pleading. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? Another name for Israel. What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like the morning cloud. That's what's missing. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. My judgment, my judgment goes forth as the light, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. That's what they're missing. So when it says judgment is coming, just repayment is coming on those who do not know God, it doesn't mean that they have been cut off from access to the knowledge of God. It means that what they see in creation what they see in their own conscience, they suppress and refuse to have God in their knowledge. And that's everyone who is not moved to repent and embrace the gospel. Let me ask one last question, just in case it enters anybody's mind. When Paul says that this repayment is coming by way of relief to with us to you. Does the fact that it says us and you imply that Paul believed that the second coming must happen during the lifetime of Paul and the Thessalonians, since he says 
the repayment is going to be the repayment of a relief on you and us, and it's going to be a repayment of affliction on those who are afflicting you. So must the second coming happen while these people and these people are alive? I don't think so. First, because Paul elsewhere said he didn't know whether he would live or die before the second coming. But secondly, I think the main point here is not that they must be alive for this to happen, but that the decisive repayment, both of retribution and of relief, happens at the second coming, whether you're alive or you're dead. Here's the way Jesus said it in John 5. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So there's a decisive rest, relief, reward, eternal uh, blessing for those who have been believing and obedient, and there is a decisive judgment, retribution, repayment on those who have been unbelieving and who do not know God. Therefore, I don't draw the inference that because Paul said the repayment would be to us and you and those who are afflicting you, therefore it has to happen within our lifetime. 